is for us, Dunphy Missionary Church, but not only for us. This is for all people who call Jesus Christ their Lord, for he gave us all a mission. We looked last week at the first part of that mission to live for, and that is to meet people where they are. That's what Brian and Robin and their family are going to do this week. They're going to meet some children where they are. They're not saying you first have to meet these requirements before you can come. They're saying come so that we can show you the love of Jesus and meet you where you are. I had an opportunity to meet Steve and Danae uh, this week and, and speak with them. Oh my goodness, talk about a heart for going to be and meet people where they are. They have that type of heart for the entire world. And they just trust in Jesus to lead them and provide as they do that. And that's what we are called to do, to meet people where they are. Not, not all around the world for everybody, but there are some people that don't know Jesus right in your backyard. Your neighbors, people you work with. Meet people where they are. And now this week, we're going to talk about show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. And next week, we're going to talk about why we need to celebrate with them when they make a commitment. And then the, the last part of the mission to live for is um, growing together towards spiritual maturity. We're all working at it, right? And we want people that know who Jesus is and love him to grow with us together. So this week, we're going to look at the second part of a mission to live for. Show them Jesus. And it really requires us to debunk the very thought that some people are far from God. On the cross, as Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus finished the work of reconciliation. Reconciliation for all people. So what people need our friends. What they need are friends to accept them where they are and to show them Jesus. I want to just remind you of this entire mission again. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew. After Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected in his resurrection body, before he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, in Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 18, this is our anchor verse for a mission to live for. I just read this week that only 20% of people who call themselves Christians have ever heard of the Great Commission or understand what the Great Commission says. This is our anchor verse. You can call this the Great Commission or you can call it a mission to live for, but here it is. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go. Whenever you're reading and you see the word therefore, 
you should always go back and see what therefore is therefore. So the previous verse tells us that because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, therefore he's given us the authority to go. Meet people where they are. And make disciples. How do you make somebody be a disciple? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to see that really you can just show them Jesus. That's all we need to do. How do you make somebody want to love Jesus? All you have to do is show them Jesus. You can't really make them do it. But he tells us, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So this is all around the world, and it's all in our own community too, for all people. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate their commitment by baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And this is us also growing together towards spiritual maturity. And then he gives us this promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the first thing I want to look at today about showing them Jesus is who? Who are them? Who are they? So let's make sure that we're all on the same page about who these people are, who the them is, who they are. For what is your perception of the people that are, that are not Christian, that are not in the church? Perhaps you have heard it said or you've said it yourself, they are people that are far from God. Do you believe that? What I want to do is look at first or Colossians chapter 1. And Max is spending a lot of time going through Colossians and helping us to understand these verses. And the, the lesson he did today was really an outline of this entire sermon today about who who are they? Who are we? How do we show them Jesus? So I want you to open in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. And let's just see who all these people are. He is the image. He, meaning Jesus, Jesus, the one who saves Christ, the anointed one, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Do you remember how I started this worship service? John 1, 1. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus holds all things together, or all people together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
So often we think we know how to run the church, right? He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, here's the important part. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself, to reconcile, to pay in full everything needed to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In other words, Jesus is the life and the light of the whole world, not not just us believers in Jesus Christ, the whole world. In other words, no one can be far from God. He's everywhere at all times. He is close. He is near. He has paid all things in full. We may feel like we are far from God sometimes, but that's our own personal problem. God is there. He is before all things, and in him all things, all people are held together, verse 17. Jesus is near to us all the time, and Jesus is near to the people that we go to meet where they are. Jesus is already there, no matter where they are. Whether they believe it or not, Jesus is there. Picture yourself bellying up to the bar. You look to your right, and you see a man by himself drinking his beer. You don't know what's going on with him, but Jesus is there. You look to your left, and you see a couple. They're having some drinks and eating some little olives. Looks like they're in love. Jesus is there. Look across the bar where you're standing. You see a group of young men and young women telling some stories and laughing and having a great time. Jesus is there. Look at that bartender that's serving that group over there, serving this man over here, serving this couple here, and trying to keep everybody around the bar happy with what they need, even taking insults from a grumpy old man or a bitter old woman. Jesus is there. Jesus is near to all. And is the very life of all these people. Even while people are trying to sleep off a hangover on Sunday morning, Jesus is there. He's not far off. As far as that goes, even while they were drinking it, Jesus was there loving them, wanting them to know who he is. Jesus was near to them. Jesus is near. All things are reconciled. The price of reconciliation has already been paid for all these people. All these things in heaven and on earth have been reconciled through the blood of Jesus. His blood shed on the cross paid it all in full already. 
There is no debt. That's what verse 20 tells us. There is no debt. The debt's already been paid. Now, notice that this does not mean that all people are automatically saved for eternal life with Him. They still need to realize who He is. Nor does it mean that there is now harmony in this physical world that we're living in, right? We don't need to be reminded of that. We see it every day. But peace has already been made between heaven and earth regarding each person. It's already been paid in full. Do you believe those last words that Jesus spoke when he hung on the cross? It comes from John chapter 19, verse 30. After three hours of darkness, when Jesus hung on the cross and he couldn't hardly even breathe and all the sins of the world were poured out upon him and judged, even the sins that we haven't even committed yet were poured out on him and judged. He said he was thirsty and so they gave him a little drink of vinegar on the end of a stick. And then Jesus said, It is finished. What do you think about that? Reconciliation through the cross is complete. All things have been reconciled, have been paid in full is what this scripture says. For us to show them Jesus does not mean that we have to reconcile them. Isn't that cool? We don't need to reconcile them. All we have to do is show them Jesus. The reconciliation is finished. What we need to do is show them Jesus, show them that redemption is theirs, that faith alone in Christ alone is salvation. We need to awaken people to the reality that Jesus already fixed all things. Jesus already loves them right where they are. We need to let them know because they might think that we think they have a scorecard. And we need to let them know that scorecard just doesn't exist. We don't need to determine if they're good enough because Jesus already paid it in full. He said it is finished. Jesus created and reconciled all things to him is what the scripture says. says. To show them Jesus is to awaken people to Jesus, to the truth, by showing them some of his unconditional love. Jesus is truth. He is not a truth. You don't have to worry about getting in an argument with somebody. He is the truth. Since Jesus is the truth and the life, believing there is life independent from Jesus is just a myth. That's some of the problems of these people that we just envisioned at the bar. They're thinking that they can have a good life if they just work hard enough or if they just drink enough. It'll be okay. But Jesus is truth. We can show them Jesus because no person or thing or place exists outside of him. He says he's with us always. Remember, that's our promise at the end of the Great Commission. 
Can you comprehend the freedom that we should feel? I remember when I was younger and, and the church would talk about, well, who's going to be our chairman of evangelism? And all I could picture was, oh my gosh, if I was the chairman of evangelism, that means I need to go stand on the street corner and preach the Word of God to these people that don't want to hear it. <laughs> we need to have freedom from that thought. All we've got to do is show them Jesus. What are we going to do with this seemingly reckless message? Jesus died on the cross to forgive us. His action on the cross was so powerful, so powerful that no one and no thing could ever undo it or reverse it. It's been paid in full. Every sin that everyone has ever committed or ever will commit was paid in full by the Savior of the world. The good news was announced by Jesus as he hung on the cross after that three hours of darkness when he said, It is finished. So the question we need to ask ourselves, why are we dealing with the sin problem? What, what are we doing? Don't we believe what Jesus said? Don't we believe that he paid it all? It is finished. We're free to go. We're free to go and make friends. So in order to make disciples, I believe what we need to do is learn to make friends. We need to love people the way that Jesus loves them. No strings attached. Okay, now you're thinking in the back of your mind, no, wait a second. We want the church to grow. There's got to be some strings attached. Is that what Jesus was thinking when he became their friend? He just loved them. We're not doing it to get them to join some new church program. The church is the people, the body of Christ, and Jesus Christ is the head. He's responsible for the growth. Listen to this freedom that we have. It's God's church. He will make it grow if he sees fit. But he, in, uh, he puts something in us that calls us to be friends with people. We're making friends because of our relationship with Jesus. Jesus drives us toward friendship, even to the unfriendly. Hmm, that's tough. Those folks at the bar that I mentioned, it's very unlikely that that day, that first time you go in that bar and belly up to the bar, it's very unlikely you're going to be able to show them Jesus right there. But what if you kept going back? What if you got to know people? What if you became their friend? Hmm. What happens if you continue to frequent a place and talk to people and listen to people? Remember, all these people, the, the guy by himself, the couple, 
the group over there, the bartender, they are all image bearers of God. He created all things, all people in his image. Do you see him that way? We know this is a fact because Jesus is the source of life for all. Jesus is already there. People should not be seen as a project by us. They should be seen as friend worthy. Hmm. Okay. You might think, well, I need to pick and choose here. But don't look at them as a project. Can you become their friend? We're not seeking to reconcile them because Jesus already paid the price. Do you remember Jesus ate with sinners? What in the world was he doing? He was being their friend. To show them Jesus is to love them the way Jesus loves them. To make a disciple is to make a friend. It's really being honest with one another. Honestly, I am poor in spirit. Can you say that? I am poor in spirit. When you make a friend, you can share that. And they'll understand what you're talking about. Everything we do, we who are saved by faith, should do things through the righteousness that Jesus provides to us. This means we approach every issue of life through fruit of the Spirit. Now, we can't produce this fruit. You need to go back to John chapter 15, and you'll see that we are just a branch on the vine. If I abide in him, he abides in us, and he produces fruit, and all we have to do is bear it. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit in us. And we can meet people where they are through love and joy and peace and patience. little bit of kindness. Boy, sounds like a friend, doesn't it? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And you'd want your friend to have a little self-control, wouldn't you? Fruit of the Spirit. Now we have to be careful that we don't approach this with Christian or religious moralism. Like I said, we cannot produce these things. The Holy Spirit produces it in us. I'm talking about being a real friend that cares. A friend that has a relationship with Jesus, thus empowered by the Holy Spirit. A friend that can relate and realize There really are no good answers to our sin problem except Jesus that's already fixed it. He's already paid the price. That's why Jesus reconciled all of us to him. He paid the penalty of sin, which was death. He paid the penalty of their sin. And he said it is finished. So a true friend shows them Jesus by showing them love. Now I want you to hear some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that I know you've heard before 
if you've ever gone to a wedding and you sit there and you say, oh, how sweet the man and the woman. They just love each other. But I want you to hear it today as love for a friend. This is what it says starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Wow, there's two from the fruit of the Spirit. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. When friendships start, you might hear that from the other side, but eventually all of that breaks down because of love. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. There, I, there is no card of all these good things that you do. Verse 6 says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Isn't that the kind of friend you want? And now these three things remain, it says in verse 13, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. When you're making a friend, eventually your friend will turn their faith into sight. Eventually your friend will be able to turn their hope into something that's fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And love will endure forever. Even though friendship is started with no strings attached, healthy friendships begin to produce their own fruit, a fruit of love. Friends naturally desire to protect and care for one another. Look at verse 7 again. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Protection and trust easily lead to discussion about present and eternal needs and joys with your friend. So that takes us to the next point in this message of how do we make disciples? And that is to share stories. When you go to meet people where they are, when the leaders of camp go and meet these kids where they are, you know, one of the most important things that they're going to need to do is listen. Listen to their story. When you are meeting someone new to be your friend, listen to their story. Empathize with them and Know as they tell you the story that Jesus is there with you, that he created you, and he also created them, and he's sustaining them, and he reconciled them. Try not to blink. Try not to be surprised when you hear some awful, awful things that are going on in their life. Painful stories that you just might hear. Remember, that is their story. That is their life as they know it. And Jesus was and Jesus is 
there with them and with you as you listen. Remember that your Jesus is their Jesus. They just don't know him yet. They have probably been seeking gods and idols and love and acceptance in all the wrong places. So we start by listening. Eventually, if we listen with empathy, the door will open up for you to tell some of your story. But you need to wait until you're prompted by the Holy Spirit. What were you like when you were spiritually dead? You can share that with someone. And if the time is right, what difference has a relationship with Jesus made in your life? Not in a prideful way, but in a concerning way. A way that your new friend can understand. And you need to share with them, when you met Jesus, it was not a whole bunch of rules. You need to let them know that Jesus loves us where we are. It's a relationship. Okay, maybe you need to be reminded of that today. There is joy when we finally realize that trust alone in Jesus alone is our greatest need. There's joy in that. And then if the opportunity arises or maybe it comes up weeks later and you're sharing your story, you can share some of your favorite Bible stories about how Jesus pursued you. They're in the Bible. Maybe you were that lost sheep Maybe you are the one that can relate to that sheep that was all by himself, that was alone and lost and in a dark and scary place. And Jesus left the 99 and came and rescued you. Perhaps you can relate to that lost coin that was lost and and there was no hope of being found. No one knew where you were. But Jesus didn't give up pursuing you. And when he found you, He called all the people together to celebrate with you when you were found. Our friendship with people helps them to discover what already is done. By God's grace, they may be awakened to a reconciling and justifying King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our Jesus, our Savior. We're not pushing him on them. We are following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the prompting of Jesus, and we are obeying His command in the Great Commission to make disciples. May each of us and each of our family members, each of our friends be awakened to the reality of a relationship a truth that has already been paid for and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And finished, our King, our Lord, our number one. So that's the idea. That's the scripture. Sometimes when you're meeting with someone and becoming their friend, 
you think, well, I need to share with them the gospel, but I'm really not sure how to do that. I told you, share your own story, but I also want to give you a couple practical ideas on how you can do this. So you're sitting in the cafe, and all you've got is a napkin to write on, and you don't have your Bible with you. And so your friend is at that point where they they know you're different. They know that you've got a relationship with Jesus, but they they just don't really fully understand it. So you want to draw them a picture. And I am not an artist, and I'm willing to stand up here in front of all y'all and do this so you can do it when you sit down with your friend, right? First of all, we want them to know that God created us all. God created us all. He created us, people. To have a relationship with him. Oh, God. And I'm going to write relationship here. God created us to have a relationship with him. He created us in his image so that we could have a relationship with him. But if we go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and start to read there, we learn about this creation. We also learn that uh, Adam and Eve in the garden sinned and separated us from God And because of sin, and we don't need to have that, um, do that original sin, it's already done in us. We are born with an old sin nature. We, We have that from Adam. That's just the way it works. It's been passed down through humanity. And the wages of sin are death. Because God cannot have relationship with sin. God is just good and perfect and just. And so we've separated ourselves from God. So people think, what do you do in order to rebuild that relationship? So a lot of times people will um, work and say, life is good if I just work hard enough. And God will understand that I'm working hard enough to have a relationship with him. It's not going to quite get you there, though. So then you say, well, maybe um, I need a religion. So some people will come to church, and they'll say, okay, what are your religious rules? Tell me your religious rules so I can have this relationship with God. And guess what? They're not good enough. We can't be like God and have that relationship through religion. Some people like to do it through relationship. I'm just going to write relation here. And you probably can't see it, but that's what it says. And relationships are not going to get us to the relationship with God. Sometimes we try to use relationships to take place of that relationship with God. And flawed people having relationships with flawed people is flawed. 
So we still end up in death. So then we say, well, maybe morality. That's been like from the beginning of time. People say, if you are just moral, if you just take these Christian rules and follow them and become the moral person that God has called you to be, you'll be good enough. But we learn from Romans 6.23. I am going to put a scripture up here. Romans 6.23. That the wages of sin are death. All of these things lead to death. So what can we do? Well, we can't really do anything. But God, and we read about Jesus in John chapter 1. Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And we also read from um, first, or Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to put that scripture up here too. Colossians 1, 15, what did we go through, 20? Yeah, through 20. That this Jesus, this God that created all things, also said, I want a relationship with people, so he reconciled all things. And reconciling means that we, we take our financial books and we put them all in order so we're balanced. So Jesus paid everything so that we could have a bridge over to a relationship with God. He paid it all on the cross. Every sin that was ever committed or ever would be committed, all the work that we do, all the the religion that we do, and the relationship building and the morality, all of that was taken away at the cross. It was paid for so that we can have this relationship with God. And that's what this Colossians verse tells us, that he reconciled all things to him so that we can have a relationship with God. Why do you want a relationship with God? Because that's what you were created for. God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for every person. So our eternity starts now. If you can have that relationship with God, you can have a good, perfect, a good, pleasing, and perfect life with God. And that's Romans 12, Romans 12, 2. So those of you that are writing some scriptures down, I just want to put a few things up here because you might remember this picture and you think, well, I don't know if I'm going to tell it right. I need to look at some scriptures or something. Um, Here's one that helps describe all of this, and that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And it describes all these things that we do to try to have that relationship with God, and it's not good enough. We needed Christ to die on the cross. Christ became sin for us. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Notice I'm looking at my notes. I don't remember all these scriptures. But I look them up before I do this because I'm thinking, am I going to tell it right? So 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about Jesus 
was made to be sin for us. And that's why he was able to build this bridge so that we can have a relationship with God. Okay, it's kind of interesting. This is just one example. I'm going to give you another one now. Um, But I thought it was interesting when I pulled this um, board off while the worship team was in here practicing, I had this same picture drawn. The last time I used this was with the co-op kids. And I told them this, how they can have a relationship with God through the cross. It's a good, easy way to describe the gospel. Now, if, there's a, if you ever get an opportunity um, to be with somebody with your Bible, I would recommend you write these verses down. I think they've got them up on the screen for the Romans Road. And you've probably heard of this. I didn't make any of these things up. But you might have heard of this. And what I like to do, again, because I'm not good at memorizing things, is I wrote in the front of my Bible, Romans Road, Romans 3.23. So I know to start there, Romans 3.23. The other thing I did was I have a notes app. Almost everybody has a notes app. And I put the Romans Road on the notes app in here too. So if I'm talking with someone and I don't have this Bible with me, I can look at the scriptures in my notes app and refer back to my app of the Bible and I can read them, these scriptures. So, ah, you know them all, don't you? Okay, so Romans 3.23. And uh, I have used this with, a, with some people, and it's actually worked for them to understand better who Jesus Christ was. Um, one of them was a teenage foster child in our house, and I needed to put up some curtains in her bedroom, And I said, bring your Bible. I just want to talk through some things. This was after I became her friend. When we meet people where they are, it doesn't mean we have to go out in these weird places. We can invite people into our house. Most people here are empty nesters. You've probably got room for a foster child. I don't know if God has ever laid that on your heart, but think about it. A person comes into your house and you meet them where they are in their life at that time. And you become their friend. It was almost a year of becoming her friend and we talked a lot about who God was and this type of thing. So I I said, open up your Bible to Romans 3.23 and I helped her find it. And it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you understand that? No matter what we do, we can't ever meet the glory of God. We all have sinned. And she says, yeah, I understand that. So in my Bible here, by Romans 3.23, I have written 6.23. So I said, okay, good. Open up 6.23. And what does that say? And 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we talked about that for a while while I was putting up the curtains. What's that mean to you? Do you understand that the wages of sin is death? We really don't deserve a relationship with God. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's pretty cool. Well, let's see what Romans 5.8 says. So you go to 5.8 and it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. And this is for everybody. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we were still trying to make our own way through life, not given a darn about what God had done for us or that he created us or that he wanted a relationship for us, that's when he died on the cross for us while we were still sinners. Hmm. All of our sins were poured out on him. Let's look at chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. So you go to chapter 10, verse 9, it says, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Do you understand what that's saying? Yeah, I think so. I've got it in my heart. I'd really like to be saved, and I think I know who Jesus is. He's the one that died on the cross for me. Awesome. What's, what's the rest of us say? You need to confess that with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart. And verse 13 of chapter 10 says, For everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So as you go through and talk, you go at their pace. Let them ask questions. Let them talk about it. And then you get to the end and you say, well, what do, you, are you, do you want Jesus to be your Savior? Well, yeah, it says that he is. I, I believe that in my heart. All right, are you ready con- to confess it? Huh? Yeah, it, it said you need to speak it with your mouth. Are you ready to speak it with your mouth? You mean I need to do that right here in front of you? Yeah, I'll, I'll help you. Do you know what it means to pray? You talk to God. I'll, I'll help you through it, okay? We're just going to pray, and I will, will lead, and you can follow in prayer. So I start praying. Um, you know, hey, God, here we are. It's me and her or me and him, and, and they really want to accept you as their Lord and Savior. I, I wanna, want you to hear it from them. And then just be quiet and let them say it. Let them confess it. You know, let them know then, lead them into the repentance and what it means to repent. And God, this is what I need to repent of. And then be quiet and just let them do it. So what I wanted to do today was just give you a couple practical ways to share the gospel message with people too. So I call the one bridging the gap that you can draw anywhere and, and talk about bridging the gap. The cross does that. Or the Romans road. But you don't go into the friendship saying, all right, I'm going to get this person into this. No, God will let you know when it's time to get into his word because they're going to want it when he's working with them. Bridging the gap and the Romans road. And like I said, I didn't make these up. You can go find them other places. One of the things I like to do is have a, um, the extra bonus verse. So on that last part on the Romans road, I write Luke 15.10. So after I pray with the person, I say, do you realize there was just a celebration in heaven with your name on it. Can you imagine that huge banner and all the angels are singing and looking and enjoying the fact that you have repented and come 
to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what Jesus tells us in Luke 15.10. And you can read it for him. Read it for yourself. I didn't make that up either. There is a celebration in heaven every time someone repents. So Matthew 28.19 says, Make disciples. It means show them Jesus. It means to show them the truth and let them make a decision to become a disciple or not. It is finished. The world is a mess, but reconciliation for all things has already been paid for in full. We need to believe that. We need to understand that. His blood was shed on the cross for all things. The job is done in in Christianity. It's done in Christ, period. All good works, all works of religiosity, all the striving for higher morality that we do and the church ends up representing shame on us. It's finished. The human strategies to make people become disciples, to make disciples, it's all good works. It's all ceased to exist. It means absolutely nothing in the fallen world. Jesus says, go to where they are, and make disciples. Show them who I am. And then he said, it is finished. Salvation is a gift. The only thing left is a response to the truth. Faith alone in Christ alone is salvation. How reckless, Pastor Allen. How dare you say that in this church? I dare you discover what already is. And share it with your friends. Show them Jesus. This is a part of the mission to live for. Meet people where they are and show them Jesus. And that is reckless love.